You know, when we when we read the scriptures and we we read all these accounts of these incredible men and women of God that we're reading the stories of how God moved and 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 acted in their lives. We're we're seeing how God you know rescued those Israelites and and used Moses and and, and split the Red Sea and saved them from the the, the oncoming uh, threat of the. Uh, Pharaoh and the Egyptian army, the, the superpower of its day. We're, uh, we read stories about how, how Daniel was rescued from the mouth of lions. We, we read stories of how Peter was, was rescued from a jail cell and, and just walked straight past all his guards. So many incredible accounts of, of the power of God on display. And in the last 2,000 years, we've had additional stories that we could read, other testimonies of, of people like D.L. Moody and Hudson Taylor and George Mueller and, and all kinds of other great men and women of God who, who God has, has seemingly done the impossible. We consistently see the heart and nature of God, that He's an all-powerful God. He's an all-knowing God. He's everywhere. But if, if we're honest, that those concepts of him being all powerful and all knowing and everywhere, they're too big. They're too too infinite for my finite mind to understand. And, and so I think what happens is we do is we take those those that truth of God and we, we reduce it to simple trivia. The characteristics of God that we name and we rattle them off without really understanding and appreciate appreciating the power of that. But you see, simply knowing those characteristics isn't enough. You see, it's not enough to know that God is all-powerful and that He's all-knowing and He's everywhere. I need to know that He's all of that to me. Because I need a personal God. i got to know that He's all-powerful towards me. He's all-knowing towards me. He's everywhere for me. Only then do those characteristics begin to impact my relationship with Him. So we want, to, we want to understand that and we're going to look at a psalm uh, this morning. It's, it's a very popular psalm. It's Psalm 139. And if you brought your Bible, it's great, but I have the verse up here as well so uh, you can follow along with the screen here. But it was written by David and it was, it was written for a choir which means that it was actually a song meant to be sung. So, Kim's going to sing it afterwards for us. Um, just stay tuned. But uh, the way that this psalm is broken up is there are four stanzas. Uh, I, I don't want to say verses because we use verses a different way in this psalm, so we're going to call it four stanzas. The first three stanzas are descriptions, meaning they are describing the nature and characteristics of God. Whereas the fourth one uh, is really David's response to the first three. So in light of who God is, what do we do? And, and as we go through it, I think we'll, we'll understand that more as we go. So let's start here in Psalm 139 in verse 1. David opens up with, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know, that word search means to have probed deep. It isn't just a, a, a superficial, surface understanding. Instead, he's, he's gotten below the surface with you and I. He's dug deep into the, every 
crevice every inch with inside of you and He knows you better than you know yourself. In fact, the word here, to knows me, the Hebrew word is yada. And it's an intimate knowledge. It was Adam, yada, Eve, knew Eve, and she conceived a child. So it's not just to know about, it's to know in the deepest, most intimate way. And so what we see here with God is that He searched me out. He's dug deep below the surface. He knows every nuance and He knows me. He really knows me. Not only that, is that you know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. He knows what you're doing. That idea that He knows my thoughts from afar, it means He knew them before I even had them. So a long time ago, before I had that thought, God knew it. Do you know what this means? If I can put it this way, it means God gets you. You know, I've been married to Viarda for over 12 years and she still doesn't get me. And I don't get her. Right? And, and when we've been married for 50 years, Lord willing, we still won't get each other fully. I know her, I get her more now than I did back then. But I don't fully get her. But God... God gets me. God understands me. We don't even get ourselves. How can anyone else get us, right? But God does. He's intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there was a word in my tongue, behold, O Lord, You knew it all. Right before I even said it, before I even said something to a friend, You got it. You understood it. I have a friend, he likes to say this. He says, has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurs to God? Right? Nothing goes, ah, I didn't think of that before. <laughs> he never has that moment, right? He, it's, he gets it. He's seen it all. Nothing catches him off guard. You have enclosed me behind me and before and laid your hand upon me. Meaning that everywhere I go, you're right there. I I picture this as a giant hug. That he's wrapped his arms, his big strong arms around me. And I'm I'm wrapped up within him. Verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain. It's too big. And, and that's, that's the absolute truth of this. That, that the love, the power, the strength, the, who God is, it's impossible for us to fully understand. So our goal this morning is to understand the impossible. To understand that which cannot be understood. But you see, I don't think it's about trying to get it in your head. Trying to get God in your head is sort of like trying to gather up the ocean in your arms. You're not going to do it. But that's not the point of the ocean, right? It's not the point. The point is get into the ocean. Play in the ocean. Enjoy the ocean. In the same way with God, it's not about trying to understand God. Not about trying to get God and figure God out so that we can 
dissect him, label him, and figure it all out in all the nuances and details. It's about getting in and enjoying him and experiencing him. It's meant to be having that that intimate union with him. That's what we're after here. So that's the first stanza there. It's, a, it's just getting at the idea that God's this all-knowing God who knows everything. Well, now in verse 7, we're going to look at the, the next stanza. And he, he begins to talk about now about where the fact that God is everywhere. Verse 7, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? It's not that David's looking to run away from God. He's, he's trying to show that, that God's everywhere I go that I couldn't actually escape Him. That wherever I go, that you are, that I, I, I can't flee from your presence. That phrase, presence, might better be translated, I can't escape from being face to face with you. That to me is such a beautiful picture. Because that's a picture of two lovers that are face to face. Eyeball to eyeball, nose to nose. And, and where can we go where we'll, we won't be eyeball to eyeball with God? Face to face with Him. You know, that, that picture, you know, newborn moms, they have that better than I think most do. Because when you got that little newborn baby and you're nursing that baby... You're eyeball to eyeball. You're face to face. And there's that intimate connection. And I think that's what David's getting at here. That kind of relationship, that kind of intimacy. Where can I escape that? Verse 8, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you're there. If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to hell, you're there. He's trying to use the opposite extremes to show God's everywhere. There's no escaping Him. Verse 9, if I take the, the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest parts of the sea, if I try and fly away, you're there. If I try and go deepest part of the ocean, you're there. Did you realize, did you know that, that with all our engineering, all our science and technology, there are parts of the earth we've never explored. There are the depths of the ocean that, that no one has even gotten to yet. We've been to the moon and back. We've sent satellites beyond our galaxy. But we still can't get to the deepest parts of our ocean. But one day, man might be able to do that. And when he gets there, you know who's going to be waiting for him? Face to face. I'm glad you made it. Right? Because he's everywhere. You can't run away. You can't escape. Right? Verse 10, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold on me. Even there you're going to lead me. Even there you're going to love me. Verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night. Surely then you won't be there. Even in the worst times. I mean, think about it. I mean, there are some horrible things that go on in this world. And yet God's right there. Right? There's, there's no escaping it. Even in the, the darkest times. You've heard the, 
the, the glass half full, glass half empty idea about who's an optimist and who's a pessimist. Well, my wife likes to joke, she's not a half glass full girl. She's not, not an optimist. But she's not a half glass empty kind of girl either. She's a the water just sucks kind of girl. <laughs> That's what kind of a pessimist she is. And yet, even in those darkest, most despairing times, God's right there. Even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as day. Darkness and light are alike to you. You know, the trouble we have with that idea of God is everywhere, all the time, even in the dark, 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 dark places, and you might even think about your own past and some of the, the really dark places you've been in. Some of the horrific things that you've experienced and, and now hearing God was there, then we're left with the question, why didn't He stop it? Why did He, why did he allow it? Why did He not prevent it? Why did He not intervene if He was truly there? Why, why would God ever allow anything to be so dark and so desperate. Why does He allow those difficult and hard times? And I, and I think it's because He knows the role and the power of those times they have in us. That, that it's often in those darkest moments that God, God does something incredible. That God... God's power shows up best in the weak. And His power shows up best in that darkness. But when I, when I share that, my concern is it becomes a cliché. It becomes such a trite saying that has no impact and no power. And we just kind of dismiss it. And we're still left unsatisfied. He's all-powerful. Why did He not stop? Why the darkness? So I, I talked to Him about it. I prayed about it. And I thought, God, I, I know it's true. I, I firmly believe that You use suffering and, and that tremendous things come as a result of suffering. That suffering isn't evil. That it's something that You will use to, to deepen our trust in You, to, to grow with You. And you, You've been consistently using suffering to our advantage. You're a master at that. But God, I need more. Why? And this is the picture He gave me. and I hope it's an encouragement to you. You know, in this room right now, we've got lots of light. We, we've even tried to block out some of the windows because we've got so much light here. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to see, see the screen properly. Well, if I were to light a single match or light a candle, how much light would that candle put off? How, how much of a difference would that candle make in this room right now? None, right? In fact, you might not even notice it. You might be like, oh, I didn't realize the candle has been lit all this time. But what if, what if we found a way to black out all the windows and we put a curtain up against the door and we shut all the lights off and we shut the projector off? Where would all of our eyes go to? You go to the candle. And here's, here's something that I've seen in suffering that 
there's so much stuff going on. There are so many things happening in our life each and every day. We've got work and we've got family and there's church and then there's the hobbies and what's on TV and then we got what's going on on Wednesday nights with our friends and then there's what's going on when we, we go grocery shopping and then there's the, I gotta get my car fixed and I gotta get a new phone and I gotta do, and we have all these things going on around us. We're so busy. If I can put it another way, we're so distracted. And what suffering does is it focuses you. It, it removes all those things that were distracting us. And we focus in on what's really important. What really matters. We call it a wake-up call, right? If someone has a, like a heart attack and they survive, like, oh, it's a real wake-up call. What too? What's really important? What really matters? Well, that's essentially, I think, what these dark times are to us. They're a wake-up call. To realize that, you know, maybe this thing over here, maybe it's not, it's not unimportant, but it's maybe not as important as I've made it out to be. And this over here that I have been kind of neglecting is actually more important than I've made it out to be. And in under, under all that, I begin to discover what's the single most important relationship I've got. If relationships are key, not jobs and not my finances, not the size of my house, if relationships are key, well, what's the, the biggest relationship of all relationships? It's Jesus. And so all of a sudden, all the other distractions, all the other lights begin to fade. And I'm drawn to the one light. And I, and I see, even there, your light doesn't fade, Jesus. Even in the darkest pit, in the worst spots, you're right there. So He's everywhere. Well, now we go to the, the third stanza and He... He returns back to the, the infinite knowledge that God has. But it's an infinite knowledge of me. It's not just an infinite knowledge of the galaxy and the universe. It's an intimate knowledge of, of who I am. And so verse 13, For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. You formed me. You, you wove me together. Literally, it means that you and I are handcrafted. You truly are a one of a kind. And for some of you, that's a good thing. But you're unique and you're special. You know, my, my wife, she is a, she's a crafty kind of girl. Meaning she makes crafts. Uh, how, how did you understand it, right? So she is. She makes all these crocheting stuff, and, and it's it's just amazing to me the stuff she does. She sits there and just, you know, and all of a sudden it's like a hat, or it's uh, you know a, a sweater, or, or I don't know. It's just incredible to me the stuff that she creates. And I'm looking at it and going, I, I don't, I I don't even know how that works, right? But what marvels is. 
the time that she puts into those things, it's, it truly is labor. It's a lot of work. A lot of effort goes into those things. And each stitch is done by hand. And that's sort of what it is with you and I, with God. You, you weren't just some cookie cutter. Some machine didn't spit you out. You most certainly were not the result of some random mutations. You are handcrafted. God has spent time on you. On every cell. Every molecule. Verse 14. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. What are the works that are so wonderful that David's speaking of? Is he saying the moon and the sun and the stars? Is that what he's talking about? That's wonderful. That's not what he's referring to. Is it the lions and the animals and the fish and the mountains and the beautiful landscapes? The northern lights? Is that what he's talking about? Is that what's so wonderful? What's so wonderful? I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm a work of art. I'm precious and important. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it well. We all know the intrinsic value of human life. Right? I mean, do you remember not too long ago when that Ebola crisis was going on in Africa and, and they had two uh, missionary doctors that, that got stricken with the disease? And, and so they said, well, we need to do something with these people. And we don't have the treatment facilities down there, so we're going to bring them home from Africa back to Atlanta and, and we're going to care for them there. But because their disease is contagious, then we have to take special measures. So they flew a jet with a whole crew on them, with a very special quarantine facility container on board this jet, flew it all the way to Africa, picked up one missionary, because you can't have two in this quarantine apparently, only one missionary, put him in the quarantine, flew him all the way back, and then they put him in this, ho- in this hospital that had an entire wing with an entire team of doctors and nurses and technicians de- dedicated for... One guy, and then the plane flew back, picked up the girl and brought her back. Now, could you imagine the bill on that? Right? There would be a few zeros after that number, right? Did anyone even blink an eye at the cost? No. Because we know the value of human life. Even... Even with abortion. Right? We, we, in order to, to justify, we can't refer to it as a baby. It's now just a fetus. It's just a piece of tissue. Because if we were to say, well, it's an actual baby, then we would now recognize life. So we lie to ourselves. We deny. Because we know the value of life. We know how incredible and how much each and every one of us is worth. Deep down inside. 
Which is why when we've been hurt, we know that's not right. When we've been mistreated, we know that's not okay. Because mankind is is the only part of creation that was created in the image of God. Verse 15, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. This, this phrase here, skillfully wrought, literally means to be embroidered. You know what embroidery is? Where, where you're, you're doing the needle and the thread thing and you're, you're creating a pattern and you might put it up on a wall and look, it's a teddy bear or it's a cottage or it's you know, a verse. You know what I mean by embroidery? Well, it's, you know, it's interesting. You, you, know, you look at the average embroidery on one side it looks really pretty, really beautiful, really ordinary. And then you flip it around and what do you see? kind of a tangled rat's nest, right? With thread going everywhere. And you're thinking, that spells Jesus? Really? Alright. And you flip it over. Oh yeah, I can see it now. But, but one side looks pretty, the other side looks like a mess. I think that kind of reminds me of people at times, right? We try to put up a front that we're all cleaned up, but if you could peek under the hood, what would you see? You'd see a giant mess, right? Well, the master embroiders, the, the truly skilled craftsmen, well, when they embroider stuff, if you saw the front or the back, you wouldn't know because they're both so clean. You, you can't see any flaw on either side. And I, I kind of picture that's what God's doing with you and I. Is that we've made an embroidery and, and we try to make it look clean on one side, but we're a disaster on the other. And He comes along and He begins to cut away all the loose threads. And He's cleaning it up so that the inside matches the outside. So that we can begin to see who we really are. Verse 16, Your your eyes have seen My unformed substance, and in Your book were all written the days that were ordained for Me. When is there not yet one of them? You know, I, I picture this scene in heaven before Genesis 1.1, before the foundations of the world. There was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and they sat around the table and they, they're storytellers. They're authors. And they grabbed the book and they said, well, let's write the story of Becky's life today. And starting from the moment she was conceived, they wrote every moment of Becky's life. They wrote the exciting moments where she first learned to walk. And they wrote moments where you know you first learned to ride a bike and, and, and then the moment where you first go to school and you got the answer right and, and, and you're able to throw a ball or you're able to make the big catch and, and, and the day you got saved and, and the day you met someone, you fell in love and you got married or the day you had children and, and every day. All the great moments in life. And the sad ones too. The days your heart was broken. The day you were mistreated. The days you were been abused and, and accused and attacked and rejected. And, and the days that people misunderstood your intentions. The days you felt alone. Abandoned. 
He wrote them all. And being the master storyteller that they are, they wrote every one of our stories to interact. So Richard's story and my story, well, they, they intertwine. And part of my life's on his storybook and part of his story is in my story now. And he's done that for all of us. And, and I imagine when we get to heaven, there's going to be a giant library with all of our books. All of our lives. And when you open that up and you, you see those exciting moments, you smile. And then when you see those sad days, I'm convinced you'll see tear stains on those pages where He wept alongside of us. Because He took no pleasure in the pain that you and I experienced. But He knows it all. That's why He, he doesn't react to anything. Because nothing ever occurs to him. He knows it all beforehand. He's taking it all into account. So he knows all my thoughts. He knows all my actions. He knows every word I'm going to say. Everything I've ever done. Every minute detail that has ever flooded across my mind. He's had it all there. Think about it. All the good things you've done but also all the bad things you've done. All the loving thoughts you've had of other people and all the sinful thoughts you've had of other people. All the ways you've planned to kill somebody. Slowly. And how to bring it back from life so you can kill them again. Every single thought. Part of me shudders at that now. Because not all my thoughts have been honorable. And He knows it all. But watch his response to this. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sands. When I awake, I'm still with you. Do you realize what he's saying here? That the God of this universe who knows everything about you, knows everything that you've experienced, every mistake, every sin, every fault, every, everything you've done, and He says, I can't stop thinking about you. If I can simply put it to this, He is consumed with thoughts of love towards you. He can't stop thinking about you. If I should count them, they'd outnumber the sand. When I first read this verse, and I, every time I read it, I still hear it in my head. I, I read it this way. He, if I would count them, they'd outnumber the sand on the seashore. I add the seashore in there, right? But that's not what it says. It just says outnumber the sand. Period. So let's add it up. Okay? Let's add up. If we were to count, it would be the number of grains of sand on the seashore, but also under the sea, right? And not only under the sea, but also inland. So you got all the fields and all the mountains and all the concrete buildings because that's all made of sand. Right? And then you have the whole core of the earth. Is that getting to be a lot? But it doesn't say the sand of the earth. 
does it? It just says sand, period. So you got to include all the sand that is in the moon, which is just a giant ball of sand, as far as we know. And then you've got all the asteroids and the meteorites and all the debris and all the other planets and all the other moons in our solar system. But we're just but one of millions and billions of solar systems in our galaxy. So you have to add up all the other solar systems and all the other galaxies that are millions and billions of galaxies in the universe. So, when I say you can't begin to count the number of grains of sand in all of creation, you really can't begin to count the grains of sand. And he says, if we were to add up the number of precious thoughts, it would outnumber all the grains of sand. Do you see how much He loves you with a love that will never change because it's not reacting. He knows it all. It's not He loved me on Tuesday, I sinned on Wednesday, He loves me less on Thursday. He knew about the sin on Wednesday thousands of years ago. And so He loved me on Tuesday and He loved me on Wednesday. And He loves me on Thursday. And He loves me on Friday. It's a love that is so perfect. It's a love... Well, it's the only love that satisfies. It's better than the love of a child. It's better than the love of a spouse. Better than the love of a friend or a crowd. It's the love of the Creator of the universe. And it's bigger than you'll ever know. So what do we do with this love? What's, what's to be our response to this love? Well, let's read verse 19. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed. For they speak against you wickedly, and enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. Is it just me or does something not quite fit? Right? I mean, you have this beautiful love song. This beautiful statement of how much we're loved. And then David suddenly goes into a rant against these wicked people that he hates. I remember reading going, I, I, did I miss a page here? Did I? Is something not right here? So I thought about it. God, what are you, what's David saying here? When he says that I would slay the wicked, that, that if they speak against you and they're enemies, they're taking it, I hate those who hate you. So I thought about it and I, I God, what's David saying? And I thought, what kind of a man was David? Well, David was a warrior. David was a fighter. David was on par with with Samson in my mind in terms of his ability to fight. I mean, not only did he kill Goliath with one stone, but, you know, he killed 10,000 Philistines at a time. 
This was a, a mighty man of war. A man of battle. He was a fighter. He was a warrior. And I think what he's declaring here, he says, God, you're at war and I got your back. I'm going to war with you. I'm on your side. I'm going to stand by you side by side, shoulder to shoulder. For a warrior like David, that's the, that's the greatest thing you could say to him. That I'm going to fight alongside you. I think that's what he's saying to God. God, those who are against you, your enemies, they become my enemies. Because I'm beside you now. So he's, he's essentially trying to recognize God, you and me are together. Does that make sense? And that's kind of what we did, right? That was the first step. We, we let him into the apartment. We let him into our room. We, we let him into our heart. And we said, God, I'm now on your side. I'm joining forces with you. But that's, that's just the beginning. That was just the introduction to our faith, to become on his side. Now there's something better, something bigger. And these last two verses are so powerful in my mind. He then says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. I find it interesting that after saying that God has already searched him and knows everything about him, he then invites him to come search me. So I thought about that again. God, what what does that mean? That doesn't doesn't make sense to me yet. And I think it comes down to how we translate it as, you know, if there's any hurtful way in me. I used to think that it was was about the the, the bad things I do to other people. The the mean things I do and how I mistreat people and, and show me my sin was how I understood it. And I, and I still believe that's part of it. But I, I think there's more to it than just that. I think it's an invitation to see if there's anything that, that hurts inside of me. Show me where the pain inside of me still resides. See, I got, I got five little ones at home. And, and five little ones that are, you know, still learning to walk some days, it would appear, because, you know, they have scrapes and bruises and bumps all over themselves. And, um, you know, just the other day, Caleb, you know, he kind of hurt himself and he, he grabbed his arm. He, he bumped his arm against the leg of a chair and he grabbed his arm and, and he immediately says, I need a band-aid. And I said, why do you need a band-aid? It's not bleeding. No, I need a band-aid. He's holding his arm. And I go, well, let me see it. What's the reaction? No, no, right? Because little kids know, right? That when they're holding the wound, and if it's really bleeding, if I take my hand away, what's going to happen? I will die instantly. Right? If I move my hand, the blood will come shooting out and I will hit the floor before you can say boo. So, uh uh-uh, this is a life-saving technique, my friend. That's what they're thinking, right? And he said, no, no, you'll be okay. Let me see, let me see. Just take your hand away. You won't die. And so after you talk them down off that cliff, then they realize, okay, I won't die if I take my hand away. But if I take my hand away, you're going to touch it. 
I know you've done this before. You will, you will poke. You will, you will try and clean it up, and that will hurt. So, uh-uh, I'm wise to you. I, I'm not. No, 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 I'm leaving my hand right here. Now fix it. But I can't until you take your hand away. But if I take my hand away, it will be too painful. I can, no, I can't do that. I can't do that. But, but, but fix it. You've got to first take your hand away. You see, we, we have all these hurts and pains. And we've been covering them up. And God says, come. Come here. I want to tell you how much I love you. That I have your best interests at heart all the time. There isn't a single nanosecond that I am against you. That I want to hurt you. I want to do what's in your best interest always. My love for you is perfect and pure. And it's incredible and intense. And if you don't even believe it, it won't matter because I'll still love you. My love for you is so perfect and so unconditional. There's nothing you can do to change it. I love you. But I want you to trust me now. Because my love for you means that I want to bring healing to you. And I want you to take your hand away so that I can clean the hurt, clean the wound, so healing can take place, so you can be healthy again. And you won't be hindered anymore. But I need you to trust me and take your hand away. And so David's prayer here is, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to take my hand away. Okay. All right, here. okay. Search me out, God. Poke around in there. Here I am. Open my, I open myself up to you, God, to do whatever you need to do. To, to show me where I'm worried about. What keeps me up at night? Why am I anxious? Why am I fearful? What am I scared of? Show me, God. Show me the lies I'm believing. Show me what still hurts. Show me those things that I haven't quite yet resolved yet. The things that are still hurting me and taunting me. The the shame, the rejection, the fears, my past, the disappointment, the guilt, the, the sense of feeling dirty and no value and not good enough. Show it to me. I've been burying it a long time. But I don't want to bury it anymore. Lead me into this everlasting way. Begin to reveal to me this, this, this life that I can begin to experience in you more and more. That's the invitation He gives us. And it's, it's an invitation that He rarely does just with Him and you. He'll do that and it will be that. But, but God loves to involve as many people as He can often. And just like He did with Lazarus and, and Jesus invited all His friends and family to be a part of that, that removal of the grave clothes, God has appointed the church to be the ones to come alongside and to be the vessel God uses 
to help bring healing often. It may be a minister. It may be a, a dear brother or sister. It, 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 it may be a counselor. And, and if you're struggling with something, if, if there's something that's gnawing at you and you're, you're questioning, am I really that important? Am I really that loved? Or I'm, I, just, I get it, but I struggle here. Then say, God, search me. Be willing to seek some help. Be it with your pastor. Be it with a, 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 a trusted brother or sister in the Lord. You can come here. This is what, what Sue and I get to do. We get to have the incredible honor of watching God bring healing in people's hearts. Watching Him take down those lies, those pictures, and put up brand new ones that says, I'm loved. And we would love to help you with that. It just simply starts with having the courage to say, search me, God. And be willing to go along the journey here. And I guarantee you, it's so worth it. Let's pray. Father, how do we how do we understand this love? How do we how do we how do we what do we do with this kind of love this love is it's too big it's unlike anything we've ever seen before it's so perfect it's so pure and it's so there's no conditions to it you don't demand anything of us we've never had anything like that before There's always been something attached to it. But you just love us. And Lord, I I pray that we will trust that love. We'll trust your heart for us. That we'll know that if you have this kind of love for us, and if, if you're in control, that you're working. That you're up to stuff in our hearts that you want us to begin to experience that love. Not just know about it, but to actually experience it now. To know it. So I pray, Father, we'd all have the courage to pray as David prayed. To invite you to search our hearts. To have the humility to recognize that we're not finished works. That we don't have it all together yet. That we're still learning who we are and who you are in us. And that we have the courage to pray to invite you in and expose the wounds, expose the hurts so you can bring healing. That we can be sanctified. And that we can better show your life and your love through us, to our, our families, our friends, our church, our co-workers, to the world of people whom you love greatly too. In your name we pray. Amen.